you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising and genre hopping podcast on the playlist podcast network my name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer, and, and my, I'm Noah Ballard. Ah, damn it! What, I had a little joke about how you were the abbess or convent mother of the podcast. Oh, I would love that. I love that title. Um, I think we should just continue. Yeah, I, yeah. People know. People, people know we're morons. <laughs> <laughs> we're excited to be here as always, and before we get all the way into today's fun with nuns episode i gotta tell you that we're happy to be part of the playlist podcast network where you can find such shows as binge worthy yellowstoners the deep focus podcast the discourse the fourth wall and more please like and subscribe wherever you get your shows it's always appreciated noah what led us to where we are today you're free to take the long view or the short view well, you know me, Chance. I like to lean in on a pun when yes. it comes to grouping three movies together and fun with nuns. I don't know. We like had a long conversation and we talked about myriad films. And what is it? Sister Act's 30th, 30th. anniversary? Yep. Yeah. So yep. that seems reason enough. Sometimes the title seals the episode. Sometimes you just got to get in there with the, with the nuns. Sometimes you do. You have to investigate them. You have to hide amongst them. Uh, you have to have sex with them. It's the elegance and expertise of a phrase like get in there with the nuns that I think shows how much you and I both feel comfortable discussing the ins and outs of Catholic orthodoxy on today's show. Oh, yeah. I think we should we should keep it pretty. pretty keep it brief. Secular. Keep it. Keep it to 25 minutes. Please. It'll Keep be it just short. Like some opening banter and then like, uh, Benedetta, Noah liked it, Chance didn't. Uh, Sister Act, we both liked it. Uh, then we can move on. Okay. And you don't want to say anything about 2018's The Nun? That one just gets edited out entirely? The, the, the less said about the movie, that movie, the better, I would say. So those are the three movies we're talking about today, folks. Um, fun with nuns, therefore encompassing... A uh, a comedy with nuns, a horror movie with nuns, and a, a, a sexual An erotic journey <laughs> with nuns. <laughs> a sexual walkabout of martyrdom and self-flagellation. And yeah, one woman's strange erotic journey from Florence to Pesha. Yeah, it's Benedetta. <laughs> um, the thing that I find kind of funny about this category, if we could step back for a second, is that. I think the subversive nun movies throughout Hollywood history certainly outnumber the straight ahead nun movies cuz there's just so many examples of the of like the exorcism possession genre you could go miles totally. deep on that one. But like um, super serious though. Nothing too like breaking from the mold or like dangerous outsider kind of. Sure. Um but I also wanted to point out that this this goes back a long way. The first 
one I could think of that would qualify as like a subversive nun movie is is Black Narcissus, a 1947 Powell and Pressburger movie where these nuns are in this isolated convent and it's kind of like a 40s thriller where they've had to censor themselves a little bit, but they're all becoming kind of tempted by uh, hedonism in all these in all these different ways as things go awry at the Abbey. So for as long as we've had the opportunity to make movies about nuns, uh, people have been uh, playing with and riffing on the this particular like austerity and symbolism they have. I think it's a big uh, you know American question here of like maybe international question like what what are these nuns up to? What are they you never doing quite in there? know. Yeah, what are they doing in that beautiful building? Do they what's, like what's the secrets? patriarchy? Are they keeping a demon at bay? Like that's <laughs> that's my first question every time I I go by an abbey. Sure, and you often do. I often find myself. Why is this abbey so abbeys. big? Did a duke build it? I can't seem to get away from this abbey. It's so big. Yeah. It's cursed my whole town. <laughs> All my neighbors are dead because of this abbey. <laughs> um, do we start with the the anniversary one? Do you want to start with Sister Act, or do you want to talk more about nuns in general? I was told to keep it brief. I think we should we should get right into the films. All right. 1992, Sister Act, when a nightclub singer is forced to take refuge from the mob in a convent, she ends up turning the convent choir into a soulful chorus complete with a Motown repertoire until the sudden celebrity of the choir jeopardizes her identity. Until it gets so big that the San Francisco local news plays in Reno and Harvey Keitel's like, I think... I think that could be my ex-lover who I'm trying to kill. Dolores yes. Van Cartier. Well, she's taking refuge because uh, Whoopi Goldberg has witnessed a murder. Lounge singer Dolores Van Cartier always wanted to be a star performer. Nothing you can say can tear me away from my God. But tonight, she's I'm going to become a star witness. Hey, is there a problem? I've never seen anybody killed before. If you testify, I'm going to put you in the last place on or at the Vince would ever look for you. She's an ideal prospect for rehabilitation. Absolutely not. That is not a person you can hide. That is a conspicuous person designed to stick out. Look at me. I'm a penguin. I'd like to offer a great big hi there and hello to Sister Mary Clarence. This stuff is terrible. It tastes like... There are three vows every nun must accept. The vow of poverty, mm-hmm. the vow of obedience, mm-hmm. and the vow of chastity. I am out of here. Hey, sister, are we expecting any more of your friends? This turns into a nun's bar. I'm out of here. There's got to be something around here that I can do that's not going to chip my nails or annoy anybody. You will join the choir. Anyway, she, yes, she witnesses this murder, and then the wacky conceit of this scott rudin 1992 movie is let's go put her in a like an urban abbey and (laughs) in another city so we go from reno to san francisco and wait it out until the clogged legal system of reno finally chugs along and can see their case in several months uh where she's a witness to the murder um and then through a series of like alternating meaningful emotional and musical scenes and then montages of you know uh 
whole scale change being made uh, at the very base of this abbey and, and what Christianity means to these nuns. I think we if it's in this, a city, we this... just call it a parish or church. But I, I love that you love the word abbey. Abbey, a building or buildings occupied by a community of monks or nuns. Where and when? Doesn't it doesn't seem to apply to where or when. It just <laughs> seems to apply to like where they live. Okay. I am using the correct lexicon, the correct nomenclature mm. for this seemingly so, like, pretty sensitive lexicon wasn't the correct nomenclature. So let's talk about I guess whoopee is the natural entry point here. I don't know if we've ever done a major Whoopi Goldberg what, movie. What are the other majors? It's Ghost. Ghost. Jump a Jack Flash. Um, the sequel to this. Um, Color Purple, of course. I think her career, if you look back at it, is very kind of curiously polarized between um, broad comedy and very, very sentimental, unsuccessful uh dramas <laughs> and that's a you're not putting ghost in that category are you no i guess i guess ghost would sit somewhere in between those but you know she you can't put the, a, you can't like melt like work with clay in a in a wheel anymore without thinking about ghost that shit's ubiquitous of course yeah um i guess i the role for which she won the oscar oda may because she is uh, conning for a, a lot of it feels kind of in harmony with Sister Act. Like that little chunk of the movie is a broad comedy before it works back around to supernatural romance, body jumping mm. romance. Um, I think because of the limits of like the roles that Hollywood had at the time, like you can only keep up jumping back and forth between Sister Act and The Color Purple for so for so long because those are those are quite right. It's either roles, prestige or commercial comedy yeah right um what did you make of her performance in this movie she brings an, an energy that i didn't expect to the role like i didn't expect us like a like for the first act of the movie she doesn't stop speaking the whole time like even when other characters are speaking she's still speaking mm-hmm. and that's such an interesting like that's not the way that i like i guess see Whoopi goldberg now like as being that sort of like her energy is very manic. Uh, but I think she really pulls it off here in a very charming, you know, kind of way. And I think it, it does a lot of work to explain the character to have that opening, the cold open when you see her as like a seven or eight year old or whatever. Right. And she just names the Beatles instead of naming the the different apostles. And she's already like... You know, kind of like the opening scene of Benedetta that we'll get to. <laughs> Why do all these movies have a... They seem to have like a... They a need prologue. a flashback sequence yeah. in order for you to understand like the weird context of this strangely soulful uh, erotic protagonist. Well, the nuns is kind of a fake out because you're like, oh, so this is young Vera Farmiga? This is young Lorraine? No, it's not. It's someone called Irene, played by her daughter. But yeah, they all have prologues talking about Whoopi Goldberg and her her persona and her acting I think and this goes to a point I want to make about all these nun movies but she just has a very expressive face and she's able you know coming from theater she's 
but being so good at acting for the camera, she's able to like play these little gestures to the hypothetical back row, like that whole opening scene where she's doing the the thankless Motown review at the Reno <laughs> casino, where she's like, you know, phoning it in, but you can see her dissatisfaction as she registers the kind of bar flies. Um, right, right, right. All of these songs that are just kind of preposterously up. And she's just got all these great little gestures in the movie made all the more um, striking by like the squareness of the habit like that that's such a yes. great kind of double framing device um both in the horror sense and movies we're gonna talk about but also for comedy like you can read every little emotion on her face as she um kind of lies and fibs and uh, rolls her eyes through um all the formality of this religion that she never liked absolutely yeah I think, too, like, there is also, she's great with physical comedy. And because, I mean, she comments on it a lot that she's in this, it's like, I used to wear clothes that fit. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm in this, you know, the 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 nun outfit, the habit, if you will. Uh, it's so funny that, you know, and the way that she gets the other nuns to break out of their shells is through these, like, just outrageous, like, full body movements. Like, that's right. when they go from you know, the, the nun archetype to, um, you know, the more soulful singing group that they become, but also just like the more like connected to the community religious sect that they end up becoming. Uh, but I think that is all kind of rooted in believing in Whoopi Goldberg's physical comedy. And I think she really does sell it in a way that, yeah, I mean that title sequence alone, I think does a really good job of, focusing on her energy in a way that's like, oh, she's now a famous singer. And then it kind of like drops in these little shots of like the shitty casino. And you're like, oh, she has the energy to be, you know, a top tier performer. She's just like not in the venue where anyone will ever come to find talent. Right. And that I think is kind of like writing a mythology for not only the character, but the performance itself that really kind of lends itself to like, you know, watch me do my thing, watch me be charming and watch me like kind of pull the movie into my orbit. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, and the, the other thing it made me think of is when you see her at the beginning at this thing, she just has this huge, just a mass of hair, which is then yes. kind of beautifully re-revealed at the end. And that it made me think of, I mean, it's the opposite because Julie Andrews and Sound of Music could not have smaller hair, but it's the same kind of, the same kind of thing. There's something about, um, you know what what is physically repressed in those in those nun uniforms in those habits um where like when hair is unleashed it's uh, right. it feels very liberating love it All yeah right. she's she's very winning in this uh and i think if you like believe in the performance the rest of the movie kind of like can be pretty rote yes yeah i mean she's winning and she has to be um cuz other cuz I think a lot of the rest of the movie is, yeah, average. Um, Yeah, it's sort of like a, yeah, an average, it's almost like Blues Brothers in tone. Like, it kind of has that, like, there's going to be some wacky action sequences where, like, a nun's going to fall out of a squad car or whatever. Sure. You know, but ultimately, it's based in some sort of realism. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Blues Brothers also has the famous fun with nuns scene at the beginning when they go back to their the orphanage. But go ahead. Who are you not familiar with? Uh, the director, Emil Ardolino. But I, I guess he did Dirty Dancing as well. Yeah, and uh, Three Men and a Little Lady. 
um, which oh. is not like a, a beloved movie, but these are What's huge hits. Yeah, in in like a six year in a six year span, um, and I believe he died of age shortly thereafter. So he had a very, he's a very short career. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, three <laughs> three massive hits, including this one. This movie uh, made two thirty one two hundred thirty one million on a thirty one million dollar budget. So the wow. kind of movie where they were like, we definitely need to make Back in the Habit one year later. Yeah, yeah. No, and it kind of has that. I don't know why. And it's probably just because the expectations I had coming into the movie. But it watches like a classic movie. Does that make sense? Like, there's a certain <laughs> like, there's a certain shimmer to it. You know, yeah. like when the band swells when they like land the helicopter in Reno. You know, it just feels like one of these classic '90s Hollywood kind of movies that people are going to, and as they do, like talk about for. 30 years uh and it it it, i don't know what it is because yes it's its premise is kind of hokey its actual execution is i would say pretty average but there is a certain kind of if you buy into it like a fun magic to this movie where i don't know it's because like the, the the premise is so outrageous the it's it's fun i think that kind of instant appeal was part of her kind of legend she was seen one night by Mike Nichols on stage and he kind of went backstage afterward and bonded with her and like became her champion. And, uh, two years later she was in, she had the lead role in the color purple. And five years after that, she won an, an Oscar for a comedic performance in ghost, which is basically, you know, unheard of. It's like her and Kevin Klein, um, are the people who get Oscars for being like comedic performances. What did he um, win for? In and out? Fish called Wanda. Um, ah. And so, yeah, I think winning is the word you used earlier. And I think that's the right word. Um, and I think it's, it's that, that's that quick burning, like instant connection that we want from a, from a movie star. And she's got it. And I think it's probably what keeps her on. I, you know, I don't watch as much of The View as I'd like, Noah. But um, <laughs> Sam, brother, that's like... When every every at the end of the year, when I list my regrets, that's always yeah. top five. I wish I could have seen Whoopi Goldberg debate Megan McCain more at ten forty five oh, yeah. in the morning, and um, then just burst into song. I don't think that's her singing, is it? Um, yeah, I was trying to look this up too. It's definitely not her singing in the opening scenes. Those are just right. the Motown songs. But then I think she sings some like in the final concert she sings a little bit okay she's okay i think this movie also wins because it has like an iconic supporting cast um you've got uh kathy well you've got maggie smith of course uh professor mcgonagall yeah i know her from downton but whoever that professor is you're talking about is fine with me (laughs) 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 professor of what She's Mother Superior. It's Transfiguration. Uh, Kathy Najami from Hocus Pocus. Uh, yep. Harvey Keitel, of course, is uh, the the mobster guy. Yeah. Bill Nunn is the cop. Love him. Uh, Radio Rahim. I need to talk about Bill Nunn, and I need to talk about Radio Rahim, because we haven't had this opportunity. You know how sometimes, like, if you watch enough movies that an actor's in you'll be able to like see the last moment that they were young. Oh Bill my. Nunn 
always weirds me out so much because Radio Rahim's such an iconic character. And every other time you see him here, even three years later, he's like a middle-aged man. And it's just like, what did, did Bill Nunn like turn in one of the most iconic supporting performances of all time and then just dog years in terms of aging? He's just instantly like salt and pepper, Spider-Man in the, news, in the Spider-Man newspaper office, uh, Ray Allen's uncle and he got game. In this, salt and pepper running down the hallway. He's the cop who hides her at the, the convent. And his name's Bill Nunn, which is funny. I really like uh, Joseph Mayer as Bishop O'Hara. This character actor is just the guy from... Do you remember that episode of Seinfeld where he's in the plane next to the really drunk guy and then he ends up having a heart attack and the plane gets diverted and Kramer loses all that money? But then he (laughs) says that Jerry's in on it, the guy he's betting with. Whatever. Um, He's the drunk guy who has a heart attack and he's hilarious. There you go. Um... And he gets swept up in the popularity of this choir under under Whoopi slash Dolores's direction. What's funny is like in this one, like if if uh, Pastor O'Hara was a uh, was like a character in Benedetta, he would be like the scum of the earth for being corrupted by any notion of like fame or fortune here in this life. And in, in this movie, it's sort of like, come on, this piano, it's fun, it's upbeat, it's a beat. Um, one of the things that made me laugh the hardest in this movie, Upbeat, is, and this is getting a little teasy, but, um... Teasy? The the notion that they, doing a very basic Motown arrangement and changing the words of my guy to my god, lures in multiple San Francisco street toughs who are like, what is this sound? What is this new... (laughs) new sound i'm hearing and who do i pray to for who's responsible yes, we've discovered for a style of music from 40 years ago <laughs> well that's kind of a funny thing about the whole movie right is like how conservative does maggie smith have to be it's not like she walks in and she's like i'm gonna we're gonna do hems but grunge style it's gonna be rap rock it's right this is a very well, I mean- old bubblegum style of music I don't know, but like the, that, that pentatonics, really, people like come in off the street to see what they're up to, I would say. That's okay. how they rose to prominence. Fair enough. I feel like there's still a church somewhere in the country every year that gets like a new youth minister who's just like, it should be rock. We should play rock. And people are like, yes, for the kids. And then all these people drop their What about the, the parents and- who line up outside of his office being like, this is not the way we do it here? No. He has to show them, though. So the devil's chords. <laughs> <laughs> can we just agree that this movie is good, good, and then we can get to Benedetta? <laughs> That's the movie I want to wanna talk about. Everybody thinks the sister act is great. It is great. It's a lot it's- of fun. It's got some iconic performances. Its flaws are not that numerous. No, it's 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 flaws are like basic formulaic flaws where like again it's predictable. It's very the, predictable. well sure, and the action and the comedy aren't very enmeshed. So one at the like you've gone an hour, and then Harvey Keitel's like, "Hey, that Dolores," and the two guys are like, "We'll get our guns and go to San Francisco." Um, right. Though the the um 
the climactic sequence in the casino is pretty good. I totally agree. It's undeniable that because it's clearly just shot out in the middle of Reno at night with every watt of neon cooking and watching twenty <laughs> right, nuns and run like across a group the street. Of twenty nuns. <laughs> as far as sight gags, it, it, you know you can't top that one. Totally. Um, it's a good, good. Wait, let's throw it to the spot of how we say how we rate movies. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered, unfortunately, include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, Master. Got all that? Time for a rating. It's good, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm willing to give it a good, good. Um, it's not, like, tremendous. Whoopi also does really well in the pivots to sentimentality. Like, at the end when she realizes that all these uh, Italian thugs that were raised Catholic can't hurt her because she's a nun, she just leans further and further into it in a very kind of clever and convincing way where she's saying, like, I forgive you with, like, her eyes turned down. That's <laughs> um, a compelling part of the performance as well. Uh, yeah, sister act. Fun. Um, can I make a confession? You didn't watch Benedetta? I'll murder you. I'll stab you I'll with a cross right in the heart. <laughs> I'll let you all tie you to a stake and light you on fire. No, I know so little about uh, Catholicism and the conventions of uh, faiths, you know, world faiths in general, that I didn't even, I didn't know that Back in the Habit, the subtitle of the second movie, was a pun until this weekend. You thought it was just back in the habit of going undercover to be a nun? <laughs> yeah. Like that was her habit? Just falling back into old patterns. No joke yeah. to be had. <laughs> <laughs> Something she did previously. Back in the nun saddle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, would you like to talk about 2018's The Nun? Yes, I have slight regrets that we did not watch. Can I pitch you on a movie real quick? Please. Is it Doubt? No. Um, that would be in the That one was fun. no fun. <laughs> right. Um, I think that we should have watched a movie called The Devils from 1971, uh, directed by Ken Russell, uh, the British horror um, madman slash genius. And Oliver Reed plays a priest who uh, makes his order of nuns, including Vanessa Redgrave, uh, try some pretty out there things sexually. And instead we watch <laughs> The Nun from 2018. Yeah. I mean, I knew Our- when I was watching, what, the seventh Conjuring film 
that it wasn't going to be like great. But no. this is also the highest grossing of all the a huge hit. The Waniverse, the Conjuring. They're do another one. Of course, I they think they're are. just going to do the Nun too. Yeah, what we're looking at a twenty-two million dollar budget and a three sixty-five million dollar. That's a home run. I remember the trailer in twenty eighteen. The trailer has. Do you remember the trailer? I don't, but I was reading on IMDb that they had to pull it from YouTube advertising because it frightened people. Well, because it has that big, it has that jump scare of her in the catacombs at the end where the faceless nun is following her and then the one flies through the side, which I would argue, like, if you put your movie's best jump scare in the trailer, your movie's probably not very good. But also, like, well, you know, that is one... That is one way to get people really hit to be the like, nail on the head there. Oh shit! They put the scariest thing in the movie in the trailer. I have well, to go see this. Well, that's what they do in the with with the um, comedies too that aren't very funny. It's like, right. oh, the most outrageous thing. Like we're seeing it here in the now. Right. It's got first and second act problems. So, do you want to call her slash it the nun, or do you want to call it Valak the Defiler? Well, let me start with the synopsis. A priest with a haunted past and a novice on the threshold of her final vows are sent by the Vatican to investigate the death of a young nun in Romania and confront a malevolent force in the form of a demonic nun. Balak the Defiler. (laughs) (laughs) That does sum it up. Is that what you were going to say? That does sum it up. I had a series of visions when I was younger. And after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw none. Word of my visions reached the church, and I was asked to accompany a priest to an abbey in Romania. The abbey has a long history. So this movie begins kind of oddly, and I guess I didn't realize it was... I've never seen any of the Conjuring films. We should probably see that as just cultural literacy, considering there are so many of them. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize it was in that universe, and it kind of picks up at the end of... What what movie do you cuz there's like a scenes from last week at the beginning of it with Vera Farmega and Patrick Wilson. Well, Volick appears in nun form at the end of Conjuring 2 from this very memorable painting. Um and then the, the beginning of the movie is like the nun from the painting. It's real. And then this is the story of that. I have to say Mhm. Bonnie Aarons is maybe, even without makeup on, one of the scariest people I've ever seen. No wonder she's the the nun and also... Oh, my God. Wait, some other scary thing. She's the horrifying... She's the horrifying bum. In and, and, yeah, indeed. That's incredible. She's also Fat Bonnie. Tina from I Know Who Killed Me, but I don't know okay. if that is a scary <laughs> role or not. <laughs> Bonnie, way to make the most... Of what God gave you. 
No, I mean, I, I say it as a compliment, but. This movie, it's not great. But the, by far, the best parts of it are just the imagery that it's working with. And I totally. think I've been, I've been watching like a lot of Sam Raimi movies recently because they're doing them all in blank check and I was trying to catch up for Multiverse of Madness. And you know the way you think about a Raimi movie, you automatically think about kineticism and the way the camera's moving. And this one's like the opposite. Whenever something is moving or the camera's moving, you're like, okay, here comes another like cheap, stupid gag where the thing that I just, <laughs> that really I just that. saw... The thing I just saw is gone now. It does that four times. Like, guys, please have an idea. They do, yeah. There's, there's like at least half a dozen instances where something's like behind them, and it's revealed by the camera just like rotating slightly. Yeah, it's like okay, it's behind them. Uh huh. I got the nun, the big scary nun, Bonnie, (laughs) Bonnie in a nun suit is behind her yet again. But every time it just kind of holds. On the painting of the nun, which I think literally the, the painting is so frightening and people were so into it. They were like, let's make a movie. Um, or Bonnie just kind of standing there or even an empty habit with the face. And there's a couple good shots where like uh, um, Irene, the, the nun who has not yet taken her vows, decides late in the movie, okay, I'll take them. And she's kind of supine on the floor while Damien Bashir kind of reads her the rights but she's like right next to like the ashes of a possessed nun. It's a great shot. So like every yeah. time they just think about an image, I think it's pretty striking. And every time it like does its horror movie scares, it's bad. Right. Well, I think ultimately this movie has the bones of a pretty simple horror movie and sister Irene, who's like maybe some sort of, like prophetic force, but is maybe just a random girl that they assigned to do this thing. She has these like kind of goofy final girl like ditzy moments where it's like, oh, you fell into our pentagram, you know, yeah. like at the <laughs> like, come on, like with one candle, you got it right in the center of that thing in that huge, that huge ante room or whatever. Mm. Ante room. I like it. Yeah. But I, I agree with you that this is a, like a pretty well shot movie. It just doesn't have a lot of moves. No. And it. It doesn't have like a lot of intriguing or imaginative ways to scare you that I haven't seen in superior things. Yeah, it's got twenty million dollars worth of polish on it, but I think its its skeleton is the same as any number of like if you Google non horror movies, you will find seventy of them on VOD right now. <laughs> and I right there, all and about. the whole idea that like. Father Burke's backstory is that like, oh, there was a boy he couldn't save. And it's like, okay. I don't know. I feel like this movie doesn't decide like what it wants to be. Like with it reminded me a lot of it in like some good and bad ways. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, but it really commits to the the horror of like you see the thing that you fear the most. And like that's the manifestation of these like horrible, disgusting things that happen to you. And of course they have like the underlying Stephen King IP to have it be at least somewhat interesting. But this one like never commits to what like the horror is you know like sometimes people see things from their past that like maybe torment them but other times it's just like 
oh, we pretended there were a dozen people living here, but there weren't. You know, like, that's not that scary. Like, we didn't even meet any of these nuns. It would have been like, so in that way, it was like, oh, we're trying to be Shutter Island or something. Like, that was supposed to be like a mental scare of like, oh, these dozen nuns that you didn't care that much about are gone. They were, and everyone's dead. And like, the, the, la- the girl that they found dead was the last one. Which you knew, if you are paying attention to the movie at all, you know that when this girl hangs herself in the beginning, you know exactly why. Now, let me ask you this. Yes. I feel like if you were to label a door, God ends here. (laughs) Can I get you that placard for your office, by the way? (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Please do. I would love, I'll just Latin, God ends here. Well. Wouldn't you, like, put something a little bit more sturdy than, like, a couple of two-by-fours and, like, a crossbeam? And it also looked like it was a pretty new door, which led me to the larger question of, like, I know we had that stupid backstory about, like, Duke whatever the fuck, like, was trying to, like, write some witches witchcraft or some shit. But, like, how who were the contractors who, like, built this catacomb? Like, how does that – how does that happen? How long did it take? I mean, Duke, whatever the fuck, conscripts locals and they... Local masons? And he pays them whatever the fuck bucks? And then he's like, shh, when you make the demon room, don't (laughs) tell anyone. Can you put the demon room right over there by that glowing blue hole? Yeah. That's where the demon is. Stand on the floor, guys. It doesn't have to be a thick floor. I'm going to open it right up. At some point, I want you to imagine this. At some point, he's going to bust through the floor so it has to be both easy to bust through but also somewhat dramatic yeah and can you make it christ blood resistant can you but but when you leave this like cenote in the next room over like that can be if christ blood gets in that it's over Mm -hmm. i think that uh taisa farmiga vera's daughter um you know, is 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 likable. She seems precocious from the minute she appears on screen. I think that Damien Bashir, even though he kind of does the same thing in every movie that I've ever seen him in, that kind of like kindly internal like, let me help you with that thing that he has going on. He as as the father <laughs> doing the crossword puzzle. Um, also, I think I think likable, and I think they could have a good chemistry together. Um, but the they don't though. They could. They don't. Well, the movie won't let them because they are immediately like separated. Right, they get separated like pretty an hour pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And there's this there's this potential. I mean, if we were if Paul Verhoeven was making this, for instance, where <laughs> um, you know they they say that Father Burke's job is a miracle hunter, which is just a euphemism for uh, exorcist <laughs> and someone who like chases the devil around. Um, and there's this thing about this kid that he lost at this prior exorcism where he's like, well, the Vatican said it was a success. Um, but, you know, the kid died. Uh, the wrong demon The wrong died. kid died. <laughs> um, and so I think there's this potential for them to kind of go into this, like, morass of old world Catholicism where they can 
you know, like discover something about these institutions that they're that one of them is thinking about joining and one of them seems on the outer kind of freelance edges of, but right, nothing. No, like but this that. movie, the morass, as you as it were, like is really only the it premise living in the basement of this abbey for sure. And they're just wearing nun habits because that's the painting, right? Right. God. Right. It ju- it really does seem if if modern cinema is any indication if contemporary cinema is any indication we're we're like really at the edge of holding back a lot of demons from doing a lot of damage to our society. Could be true. Um, they just had a rotating cast of nuns just like praying the shit out of themselves so the demon wouldn't escape. Perpetual adoration that was called, and I wonder if that was is that something that you and I could subscribe to. Is there like an app? Can we can we get? I would love that. The per- I would. Yeah. No, you're great. Oh, that was a good idea. That thing you just said was amazing. You wake up at four a.m. They're like, "Did somebody stop adoring me?" Is I signed up for the twenty-four hour version. That would be true horror. What did you think about the line where they have the literal blood of Christ in a chalice, and Father Burke's like, "It's the blood of Christ in a chalice," and Frenchie goes, "Holy, Holy shit!" shit. <laughs> And do you remember the next line? It's like the most holy or something. The holiest, yeah. <laughs> the holiest of shit, like Father Bird. The holiest. <laughs> Father Bird, you don't have to sacrifice uh, ceremony for repartee. Right. The Nun is not a good film. No, I did not hate it. It was weirdly easy to watch, as I think. So easy to a- watch. As I think it's like a, 75 minutes long. <laughs> I think that the Conjuring movies in general are like pretty easy mainstream horror to consume. And I did not find it like difficult to sit through. Um, well, it wasn't that scary. Yeah. What would the, but what would the rewatch value possibly be? You would only get more frustrated by the like the cheapness of the three. I thought the production design stars. was like pretty, pretty compelling. Like it is. I think that's a, what they, they spent made on a the scary money. Abbey. It's maybe yep. like, it looks a little bit like a Hogwarts yard sale. I think that this movie's bad, bad. Bad, bad. Um, before we talk about 2021's Benedetta, <laughs> can we both just yell in unison, God ends here. God ends here? God. You didn't do it. God ends here. I love that all these movies were available on streaming that does make it quite convenient you want to tell people where they can find this stuff sister act is on disney plus Mm -hmm. the nun is on hbo max and benedetta god bless it is on hulu the most consecrated of streaming services exactly i really i think hulu whoever's doing hulu's programming is really like scratching all my itches what else have you been enjoying I mean, that's the home of deep water, for yeah, one. That's true. What's funny is, I think, our metric of the good that Hulu is doing is just giving money to 85-year-old perverts, Paul Verhoeven and Adrian <laughs> Lyne, <laughs> the two men that defined the American erotic thriller 30 years ago. <laughs> and God loved them for that. Yeah. Jesus spoke to them, and he said, give these old perverts $80 million apiece. We did the fatal attraction guy. What about the basic instinct guy? Now this is 
all funny, but Hulu didn't like make this movie. But anyway, it's just available on their streaming. (laughs) Benedetta 2021, a 17th century nun in Italy, even though the movie's in French, suffers from disturbing religious and erotic visions. She is assisted by a companion, and the relationship between the two women develops into a romantic love affair. Benedetta! Viens à moi! J'arrive, Seigneur! J'arrive! On ne comprend pas toujours les instruments de Dieu. So this movie really has that kind of what's well, it's the uh, sister Actian uh, opening <laughs> thing where you see the precocious young kid being like, don't fuck with me because I'll fuck with you right back. Even if it, maybe I'm doing it on purpose or maybe I'm just like really, really lucky and really, really yeah. resourceful. Well, yeah, the main question of this movie is like, is it a sister act or ain't it? Or how much of it? Yeah, she's sister acting. Right. So yeah, classic story. Her dad sells her to the... <laughs> Her dad sells her to the convent. Her mom's there. She's fine with it, too. Actually, he doesn't... He is the one who gives them money. That's, like, a very clear... Before we talk about the the martyrdom and the graphic sex of it all, one of Verhoeven's priorities here is immediately to show the kind of uh, craven capitalist way in which these institutions totally but i think too in a less cynical way he's also trying to establish all these women as very very formidable yeah totally like maybe more formidable clearly more formidable than the men Mm -hmm. and so then the movie becomes benedetta this sort of like wild uh i don't know charismatic uh you know young nun and yeah charlotte rampling is the as the as mother, mother superior or whatever, right? Do we need to tell people just in case they're not geeks that Paul Verhoeven is like the the famed director of such mainstream exploitation films as Basic Instinct, RoboCop, Starship Troopers, uh, Showgirls, which we may or may not talk about in under a month, <laughs> Hollow Man, and this is him in his eighties. Uh, going back to Europe where he where he got his start, he's Dutch, um, and working on a working on a smaller budget, but uh, with no less ambition or perversion, as we've said. And this one, I think, is the most cinematically rendered, like Abbey space. Totally, like you feel like you're in this. You are cloistered with them. Uh, it's filmed in the Italian countryside. In a real abbey. Yes, and it uses the most of its of its space, uh, whereas the other ones are just like, oh, another dreary hallway, perfect. This one like really has, and he has fun with it too. Like, there's all these weird happenings that happen where, you know, like when she's a little girl, like this huge statue falls on her instead of crushing her to death, it like saves her, and then it like maybe asks it to like drink its milk. 
Mm-hmm. Classic statue. Uh, I mean, if a statue with one breast exposed falls directly in your face, like what are you going to do? Totally. And that is a question for the audience. That's not for you, Noah. Because it is a Paul Verhoeven movie, were you just sitting there waiting for something to like something pervy to happen? I knew enough about the movie that we're going to see some pretty graphic known sex. Um, but I was waiting to see like, how does this sort of he, I mean, he constantly, he's into like, you know, systemic critiques. He's into, um, how much can I get away with, um, with like what is clearly a very like male gaze on two lesbians having sex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, can't stress that enough. Well, and then he's just someone who always is, he also loves an uncertain ending, a la Basic Instinct. Has this person gone so far down the road that they have any other options? What was real here? What was not real? What was an act? And it's it's a lot of the same stuff he's playing with here. Totally. Yeah. I I really loved the the nuance uh, of, is Benedetta like this divine thing or is she she... exactly uh and then how will the mere mortals around her choose to respond to this thing because i think that is ultimately you know as an atheist making a movie about jesus what's interesting about jesus i think for a director like verhoven is like what was the like how did he convinced so many people that what he was saying was beyond his human form, you know, Mm -hmm. and then finding those situations like with Benedetta, she's just like a mini Christ figure of like these unexplainable phenomenal things happen. And then some people are like, she's faking it. Some people are like, she's not faking it. She's real. There are greater things happening in society and just in the natural world that conspire to, have some sign that like it's working or it's not working. And it's the furor that these people get caught in and the conflict there that ultimately leads to the destruction of that central character. Uh, And I think that's what he probably finds fascinating about that story and finding those little microcosms for, you know, how, how did Christ convince all these people that what he was saying was real? It's a great point. And I think that the, the way he handles those questions is kind of, subversive in the age of uh you know obsessive continuity in our blockbusters and chris nolan and m night Shyamalan, where it's just like there has got to be an answer at the end about whether it was all real or not real and if you kind of if you did like a diagnostic on this movie some of her quote-unquote miracles clearly happened i mean the sky sky turned blood red the bird shit on the knight's face the moment she wanted it to some of them are clearly faked because she has a shard in her hand at one point, but like we don't know if she had a shard in her hand for all of the stigmata that people believe right. are miracles. There's some of it's too convenient, and you understand why the other nuns doubt her, but like some of it, you're like, I, I don't know. We, we right. have no answer for that. So the way he's able to kind of sit in the middle is kind of daring in this day and age of story. Totally. Well, he sort of presupposes that part of God's plan is giving that individual the wherewithal to take things into their own hands in some cases. Like where a, you know, miracle is absent, you have to do something. You know, it's like the joke about, 
you know, the guy sitting on his roof as the water's rising, waiting for rescue and is praying to God for, for safe passage or whatever. And like, you know, a FEMA boat comes by and it's just like, Hey, get in the boat. We'll take you. And he's like, no, no, I'm waiting for God's going to provide a way. And then like a series of other things happen. And then he drowns and he's up in, you know, St. Peter, the pearly gates. And is you know, why didn't you, why didn't you uh, send me a miracle? It's like, I sent you a boat and a helicopter and all the other shit. An enormous raven landed right outside my window, like feet away while you were talking. Did it um, shit in your eye so you would give that <laughs> necklace back to the woman you'd stolen it from? It's probably going to shit on my porch, um, but that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, every every successful showman has some unquantifiable, miraculous-seeming uh, quality on the way to what may or may not be like a bill of goods. Um, and you kind of get the sense of like, this is a girl who knew that she was destined for the convent from the time that she was 10. It seemed like it was the whole plan. She was never, you know, the opening prologue we're talking about, the little girl is like, let's go. Come on. I got my Virgin Mary. I'm ready to seemingly control the will of God out in the world. She's all in on this. And so what you see when we flash forward 18 years is just like the different ways in which she's able to play that same song louder and longer and like never deviate because you see a lot of different characters in this movie whether it is the charlotte rampling mother superior or the lambert wilson who plays i think the cardinal from florence people would know him as the merovingian from the matrix movies indeed Um, he's great he's great charlotte rampling is great Uh, oh yeah the whole i would say the whole cast is very very good i don't think there's a bad performance in the movie uh but you know there's the thing of like every time anyone disputes anything whoever has more clout and or more uh, attention on them in that moment can just be like will of god what are you gonna do and that's kind of the song that benedetta is playing over and over again and totally. is she wrong it seems like sometimes she is but like she can't I, don't, I won't give away the ending but like she can't stop playing that song no matter what you as the audience want her to do no matter what the people who love her want her to do like you played it this Even, far, yeah. you can't stop playing it. Exactly, yeah. Well, it's also a movie that I think fundamentally has the position of aren't all religions just cults? You know, if you have charismatic central people who say the thing that people want to hear in desperate times when there's a fucking plague going on, don't we just, aren't we just inclined to believe that person? Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I think it's, it's a nuanced movie and it's it's really interesting and I think that well you want to get to the the erotic elements I'm going to butcher her name uh Virginia Afira um who plays Benedetta a Belgian French actress um she's honestly preposterously beautiful to be playing <laughs> to be playing this role but there's something right. about it that kind of works there's a great line in the movie too where she where she tells um uh Daphne Patakia who plays Bartolomeo who she ends up getting in this torrid sexual affair with um is like she tells her she's beautiful and Bartolomeo's like I am like don't have any mirrors um and you kind of realize like maybe that's just a cheap line in the script but like these just gorgeous women apparently don't have any idea right. and then are told from the time that they're young not to trust their bodies um, right. 
But you know that Benedetta, like, even without mirrors in her life, too, like, knows that she's hot and knows how that works. It Well, and it really works for uh, Afira, the actor, because right. the same way that she's just kind of leaning into, like, I am, I'm the hottest nun in the world. What do you want? The hottest nun in the world is like, I'm going to keep pressing forward with my sainthood campaign. What do you want? It works. Well, I think too, the, the other, the, the script is, is lively. Like in that moment too, that's the first like encounter, like the, the beauty thing is sort of opens the door a crack. And then she offers, uh, Benedetta offers her like, Oh, well just, just check yourself out in my eyes. And then you have to get closer. Oh, it's hot. Yep. And I think Verhoeven, in his defense, like when he builds the, you know, the the pyre of lust between two characters, <laughs> like he's very artful in like how he spills the gasoline in the kindling. You know, I think he's pretty good at uh, like having the smolder be, you know, before they get to the, you know, the the, the penetrative acts, uh, right. the, the smolder's pretty good, too. It's a good point because, like the, fi- I mean, the fire itself is ridiculous, um, right. and in terms of both, like the, the, uh, I mean, it's just one giant blaspheme, um, and also just Benedetta is just impossibly horny. If you, if you were the hottest person in the world, but you'd never like had a sexual thought until you were like thirty three, and then someone gave you the best orgasm of your life. This movie posits that Benedetta is just like, well, I'm going to need to jerk off through every conversation <laughs> because yeah. we got to make up for some lost time here. And then feel really bad about it afterward. Right. Uh, classic. No, but Verhoeven, of course, is of the school of thought that, yeah, the, the chase of the orgasm is far more potent than the chase of uh, moral superiority or whatever. <laughs> It's very true. Um, Can I ask you this? When you turned on this movie, did you think there was going to be a sequence where Benedetta was like really about to suck Jesus's dick and then she doesn't because he has it tucked between his legs like fucking what's his Buffalo Bill from uh, (laughs) Silence of the Lambs? (laughs) Maybe tucked. Maybe the Jesus in her vision just had a vagina. His leg is swept over though. Yeah. His leg is swept over. And then when he started saying, uh, <laughs> I'd fuck me. <laughs> That's what I knew. Oh boy. This movie really goes for it too. You know, the fact that, <laughs> yeah. What did we just describe? <laughs> well, that's not even the worst part. I would say the worst part and spoiler as Chance would say, flip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear Noah describe a Virgin Mary idol that's been whittled down into a dildo. Uh, <laughs> that's an intense part. And that becomes the crux, too, of the, you know, when this uh, majestic moves into its courtroom drama sequence. Right. The whittled, <laughs> the whittled down... <laughs> Virgin Mary really becomes the people's evidence exhibit one. Let me ask you this. In one of the movies, I would say few flaws. I feel like the Deus Ex Black Plague uh, is a little. But maybe it's just a gruesome, wonderful way for this movie to end. I'm willing. 
I'm willing to be talked into either camp. Well, I think it's it's crucial because on like a macro level, the movie is really trying to figure out how much of faith is institutional and how much of faith is like emotional. Bubonic plague is a lot. Uh, I actually think the worst part of the movie is the uh, the CGI fire at the end is really bad. What's going on with Bartolomea, who, again, played by Daphne Patakia, who just has the biggest, greenest eyes in the world. They are wild woman's eyes. Um, oh, my. And she shows up at the convent after Benedetta has already established. She's been there for many years. Um, her dad uh, is, like, raping her and is going to beat her to death. And she's like, please let me join this convent right now. Um, and then kind of right from the jump... You know, she's flirting with Benedetta. What, what do you make of, like, the shape of that character? Well, I think they kind of have a somewhat fascinating kind of reverse uh, phantom thread relationship where they, mm. like, torture each other up front just to see if they're, like, into a little bit of pain. Yeah. And then they enter what seems to be a pretty, uh, you know, open, communicative uh, relationship of the, of the, of the, it's not lust, it's love. Uh, but yeah, no, it's pretty fucked up and abusive at the top, you know, and I think it's also kind of implying too that Benedetta is somewhat preying on this, at least at first on this young girl who like doesn't know how to read and is like taking, is giving her the attention of a parent or of a teacher of that kind of role. And then she's the one who ultimately like with the, you're beautiful, get closer to my eyes, no closer. Like she makes the first move in my opinion. You know, it's it's uh, it's Bartolomea who eventually is just like, I love you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think that there's like a little bit of some predator prey going on. Well, and I mean, at every turn. Like. The visions that Benedetta is having. Um, She's married to J.C., well, the repression is so deep that, like, any time she feels turned on or catharsis of any kind, it's immediately tied to, like, rape, self-flagellation, and violence. Right. Um, and that may just be a grab bag of things that Paul Verhoeven is interested in, but it also totally. feels like an argument for how repressed they are. But not to give away the ending, too, but I do think that Verhoeven's argument is that Benedetta cares about Benedetta and that really wasn't maybe as much of a love story as we we or Bartolomea had believed. Yeah, I think the sex that was so, you know, comprises so much of the movie and was, you know, any also comprised so much of the conversation about the movie is really a diversion for the larger story, almost hiding the fact that like I never at, at no point in the entire movie does Bartolomea express like a single faith-based sentiment. Totally. And so in in that absence, I think she misreads Benedetta pretty hard. Well, also, Benedetta never reciprocates the physical intimacy. It's always the thing being done to Benedetta. Oh, you're right. Even when it's like, hey, take off your top, it's still for the benefit of Benedetta. Right. You know what I really loved? There are these moments, too, when we're talking about, like, is this real or is it not? Um, The effect that they put on Virginia Efira's voice. Oh, yeah. Don't do that to my (laughs) wife. (laughs) Blasphemers. 
But it's really, I think, at the absolute perfect pitch where multiple times in the movie I was trying to figure out, like, wait, is that is that computerized? Because then you're tell- the movie's telling me she's definitely talking through the voice of God. And then at other points, I'm like, no, I think that's just her. And they really found the perfect level to make- keep it mysterious. Yeah, who's to say? But it does, it is one of those things of like, and it's also a movie expectation too, because like when people are possessed, it's usually their voice is like jacked up to eleven to be like, oh, "I'm possessed." Yeah, nobody. <laughs> this is, is like, someone else speaking, not the is body. That Linda Blair's real voice, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good. That's a good point. This movie's got a lot of moves like that, uh, which I think makes it like pretty interesting. And I don't know. This was the one that I think no pun intended, stimulated me the most. Can't imagine why. Narratively, of course. Cinematically. I, I do. Please believe me when I say narratively. Yes. <laughs> what do you think? Should know, we do just... Showgirls next month? Please. Okay, great. That's got a 4.6 on Rotten Dem- or on uh, IMDb. I can't, I can't wait to turn that on. Famous bomb. With you. Sorry, Benedetta. You, I think you were about to turn a corner. Well, you know me, Chance. I, I feel like I see so many movies and feel nothing or feel <laughs> just like just existential dread. <laughs> I went to see a movie recently that will not be named that people really love. And... I felt nothing, and then I felt bored, and then I felt annoyed. And it was the new Dinesh D'Souza creative nonfiction movie, right? <laughs> it was. It the was caravan indeed. or whatever. And when I watched this one, I was like, "Wow, a movie that's taking like kind of a classic Hollywood like." <laughs> Let's make a period piece like a set in a, act. right? No, let's take like the 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 nun premise, but jack up the sexual politics to eleven. But also just make kind of an interesting movie about what religion means to people and how it like corrupts both relationships on the micro and the macro level. And I I think it's a pretty interesting movie. That's and it you said it. There's no bad performances in it. You know, it kind of has that, I don't know. It reminded me of like tonally like of Amadeus and like others, these sort of like 17th century. I think it really nailed that pretty well. Uh, but just like the glamour hyper, uh, the, the glamour uh, contrasted with like the, you know, the, the, the poverty that these women have to have to at least pretend to, to achieve and yeah, I mean, and I think the two, there's so much good chemistry between the two central women uh, in a way that it's not, you know, kind of a morality, like if only they were allowed to be who they are. And it's like, no, these people are being who they are. Uh, and it, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't look for a, like a cheapness. It really just draws human characters who are going after a very specific thing because of the circumstances that they're in. Uh, and I think it's a really, I think it's a good, good. I'm with you. 
I think it is classic Verhoeven in the sense that, as always, he has the right ideas, and it's just in such bad taste. Um, and that that combination of things, uh, especially in this day and age, is is just fascinating. Um, yes. Like if you look at the 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 social and cultural critiques he's levied for the last fifty years, you're, you're like pretty most of the time you're like Paul, you're right, you're very right. You figured out America. You figured out Catholicism. You figured out. Uh, corporate interests you figured out cops um but every time he's like but you know how i'm going to show that rampant fucking <laughs> well i think he's he's smart about it because he's yeah. made something so like prurient that you know yeah. people even who believe in the thing like even the you know the person who goes to church on sunday still has a like a morbid fascination with seeing a movie like this because it's an erotic thriller like it's still hot yeah. You know, and I think that's the that's almost the 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 game on top of the game for Verhoeven right. is like I'm going to make you watch this because like you're there for when they take off the habits. Mhm. Mhm. Um I mean yeah, and and it's it's too it's it's not like it's kink. It it's kink, but it's it's not like they show up in the movie and they like are dressed like Raquel Welch or something where you're like they're not dressed like nuns. They they are dressed like nuns, but he uses like the veil between their beds. When are they gonna take the veil? The veil just ends up being this like hour long foreplay between. Right, you don't need to penetrate what a nipple tweak will do. <laughs> Not for a while. Um, yeah, Benedetta is good, good, and uh, you anyone you're free to protest this podcast. It can't cost us that much. All right, my friend. Let me ask you this overarching question here. Yeah. If you had to live in one of these abbeys, which mm. one would it be? Mm, sister act, because I could easily take a helicopter to Reno. Nice. But seriously, I'd rather live in an American city and do, do nice graffiti on my abbey than live I definitely don't want to live in a haunted demon castle where I have to kill myself for the demon possessed me. <laughs> no, the nun really is not that much of an option. But it did seem like the Benedetta one had better food. Mm. Mm-hmm. There was clearly bread that was a privilege that could be taken away. Exactly. It. Yeah. And the gruel seemed like a little bit more hospitable. It seemed like there was like good drama in the right. Benedetta one. And everybody seemed like they like kind of got along, you know. For a there wasn't time. all these like, there, well, for a time, uh, there wasn't all these like. I don't know that I can make all these choir practices. <laughs> Sweep up my area, attend to someone who had a spell from like a mutilated a mutilation on their body. I could do that, but like I can't be totally seven seven days a week choir. Come on. No, I'd rather just like occasionally wrap someone in gauze. Right, and wonder, did they do this to themselves, or did God do or did, this? Yeah, did, did did God do this? Just really see it up close and personal. Yeah, maybe bear witness at one point. Oh my God, I would love that. Um, well, we've bared witness to this podcast and these films. Sure we, we sure have, and we have spoken. So let it be written. So let it be done. <laughs> 